2 Timothy, we started off the year with a message on the key of God's Word. And I want to, we had great R.T. Kendall was here with us last week. We loved the message and appreciate it on forgiveness. But today I want to get back into our opening series. Every year I pray, say, Lord, how do you want us to start this new year? What, what needs to be our focus as we begin and launch into a brand new year? And this year the Lord laid on my heart to focus again, to refocus on the Word of God, to make a declaration that, that we're gonna, we believe God's Word, and we believe the Bible, and we're declaring God's Word over our lives, over our families, over our church, over our nation. Amen? And so today I want to talk to you about believing the Bible. Because we encounter people all the time that try to discredit God's Word. They, they laugh about it and say, well, that, you can't depend on that. The people will say, well, the Bible, it's just legends and myths that have been accumulated and put together. And, and how silly is it to believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? And so most of us here today, we believe that this is the Word of God, not because we've, we've studied external evidences, but because we have an internal evidence. Amen? I have no doubt that this is the Word of God because it transformed my heart and my life. Amen? I'm not the same anymore. You would not like me without Jesus. And I guarantee you, I wouldn't like you without Jesus either. But we love this word. We know it's God's word. Why? Because when we read this word, it showed us that we needed a Savior. It leads us to Jesus Christ. We, we come and ask Him to forgive us of our sins and to be our Lord and to our Savior, to come into our life. We become Jesus followers. And our lives are never, ever the same. So it's easy for us to say, yes, I believe this is the Word of God. But today, I want us to think about other aspects of why that we should take this passage of, or this book and we should believe it. So I'm going to get a little academic today, but is that okay? Let's start with 2 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter, two, uh, three, chapter 3, verse 13. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, and I'm going to read through verse 17. I love hearing pages turn. But evil men... Imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. He's talking about the last days. He begins this third chapter, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Then he has a list of descriptions of, of how things are going to be. And here in verse 13, he talks about evil men, imposters, and he talks about they're going to grow worse and worse in their deception. One of the things Jesus speaks about as a priority when he's speaking about the last days in Matthew chapter 24 is deception. 
So how are we going to avoid deception? Because we have the truth hidden in our hearts. Look at verse 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and not been assured of, knowing from and, and been assured of, and knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now listen to verse 16. All scripture. Everybody say all scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All scripture. That means every part of the word of God has power. Every part has a lesson, has a teaching, has something that God will work in our life. Even the boring genealogies. Even those names that you can't pronounce. They represent a life. And and that life has a lesson for us. In verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God wants us to know His Word, have His Word hidden in our hearts and lives, so that in these last days, God will use us for His glory. We're not going to be deceived. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. We know the blessings of God that come into our lives because of His Word. Amen? Now, I want to begin with a a scientific uh, class of study called literary criticism. You may have heard of literary criticism. Now, literary criticism isn't a group of people that pick the top ten New York Times bestseller list. It's not that kind of criticism. It's actually a scholarly scientific study that looks at the documents such as the Bible, and there is a a narrowed part of literary criticism called biblical criticism, where the scholars look at what we have today and compare it to the ancient Uh, documents that we retrieve this from and they study it to see if what we have now is what was written originally and they do this through various ways they they do it through finding out how many ancient copies there are how close the date of the oldest copy that we have is to the original that was written and they, they also take external uh, texts such as historical evidence that's, that speaks of the same geographic areas, the same political things that were taking place. And when they study all those aspects of it, then they come up with the idea of whether a, a text today is what we was originally written. Do we have today what was originally written? And so I want us to think about that for just a moment. In James chapter 1, verse 25, Scripture says, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty. Say, we're looking into the perfect Word of God. 
and continues in it. So we're not supposed to just read through it once. We're to study it. And is not a forgetful hearer. We don't forget what we read. We study it. We learn it. We absorb it so that the Holy Spirit can cause us to remember it. But a doer of the work. In other words, we don't just study it. We don't just memorize it. But we live by it. This one will be blessed in what he does. That's powerful, church. If you study God's Word and you allow that Word to to become part of you, who you are, you strive to live according to this Word, God says, you will be blessed. Because everything in this Word has an answer for whatever we face in life. And when we address the circumstances, the difficulties, the temptations of life according to the Word, God's going to give us the victory. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, we just read it, but I want to look at something else. It says, and, for, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. Church, you need to start teaching your children God's Word. They're facing things in school and especially high school and college that we never faced. Times are getting more evil. There's more deception, and we need to prepare our children. If the Lord tarries, we need to prepare them so that they're well-equipped to not only survive in these last days, but thrive in the last days. Amen? This verse goes on and says, "...which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ." The Word of God teaches us the way of salvation. That Jesus came, that He lived a sinless life. He was born of a virgin. That He died for our sins. That the sins of mankind, past, present, and future, all the sins were placed upon Him on the cross. He died for every one of our sins. Hallelujah! And when we receive that and place our faith and trust in Him, Guess what? We're made right with God. Amen? Verse 16, we read it a moment ago. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God wants to equip you. You are equipped by taking the Word of God and and studying it and allow it. Church, I want to tell you something else. It's okay to write in your Bible. I've encountered people through the years that, I can't believe you write. That's God's Word. Yes, it is. And I study God's Word. And He gives me insight and things that I learn and I jot them in in the, the margins. My Bible's filled with with the passages where I've just studied it. Study the Word of God. Amen? But I want to get back on literary criticism for a moment. Scholars accept 
this as being the Word of God. They believe just like we do, many of them, not only because they've been born again and experienced what we read in John chapter 3, verse 3, being born spiritually or from above and having our lives transformed, but they also believe because they study in this scientific field of literary criticism. The Bible is the most reliable piece of literature from antiquity that mankind has. And I want to prove that to you. There are more than 5,300 Greek manuscripts that we have of the New Testament. There's more than 10,000 manuscripts or part of manuscripts that are of the Latin Vulgate. There's 9,300 other early versions of the New Testament. So we, it totals more than 24,000 ancient copies of God's Word that we have. Now I want you to compare that to the... There's no other uh, an, uh, a book from antiquity that comes even close. The second is the Iliad by Homer. And I want to give you some statistics on that. We have 20, over 24,000 ancient versions from antiquity of God's Word, the New Testament. Homer's Iliad is second with 643. Now, Homer wrote this around 900 B.C. And the earliest copy that they have discovered is about 400 B.C. So between when it was written and the oldest copy that mankind has is 500 years. Yet any scholar will tell you they believe that what we have today is Homer's Iliad is what he wrote. Now, the New Testament was written about 40 A.D. to 100 A.D. Now, the earliest copies date back to 125 A.D. So the earliest copies that we have of the New Testament are only removed 25 years from when it was originally written. So, church, the point of all this, and I'm getting a little academic today, is we don't have blind faith. The Bible tells us to come and to reason together, to use our minds. And if you are honest and you study, you will come to the conclusion you can trust what God's Word says for your life. Amen? Another thing I want to see. Did, Gary, did you find that picture on the internet? Awesome. Put it up there for me. Chris, Chris, is Christy doing it? Okay. Everybody give Christy a hand. Yay. Thank you, Christy. I want you to look at this because this is, this is powerful. Now, 
This is actually a very tiny scroll that is made of silver. And it was rolled up and it was found in Jerusalem in the old city. And it was found in 1979. And there were two scrolls. And it's, it was probably used as an ornament on a, on a bracelet. And they would hang on the bracelet, kind of like we have bracelets like that today. But they found two of them, and it was very, very delicate and took a, a great deal of time for them to, to open up the scroll. But when they did, they discovered Numbers chapter 6. Verses 24 through 26. So this is the oldest ancient copy of Scripture that exists so far in the world today. And what's interesting is it dates back to 600 B.C. And another interesting fact is that when they took this and went through it, the same blessing that we speak today, and we did this Christmas. If you were here for uh, the Christmas Sunday morning service, I, we, we prayed the blessing and we sang the blessing. It's the same exact blessing. It's, it's exactly the same. And it dates 2,700 years from today. Church, you can trust this. This is the Word of God. The Bible's different from other books because of its unity and its, its consistency. There were over 40 authors that, that wrote over a period of 1,500 years in the Old Testament. They had varied backgrounds. Joshua was a military general. Daniel was a prime minister. Peter was a fisherman. Nehemiah was a political consultant. And Luke was a physician. Matthew was a tax collector. Yet God moved by His Holy Spirit on all these different men from different varying uh, times in history. And guess what? All of them were riding in the same flow, the same truth. There is one, one great message in this book. And it is that man was created, God, God loved him, God wanted to fellowship him, but man had a will of his own and he sinned. But God loved him so much that God sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's about a redeemer. It's about God giving us a way so that we can fellowship with him and live for him. And not only in this life, but for eternity. I love that, there, that one central theme. The Bible's different in its claims than any other book. In John chapter 5, verse 39, it says, Jesus said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. 
Church, if you want to have eternal life, the answer's in the Word of God. And it's all written pointing to Jesus. Amen? There's a, a cathedral in Europe that has uh, statues on both sides of the auditorium in, in the very back. And then it'll have another statue and another one and another one and another. And they're, they're all different people throughout history. And they're all pointing. They're all looking towards the center of this cathedral. And in the center of the cathedral is a statue of Jesus. And what it is saying through imagery is that all through history, it's all about Jesus. It's all pointing to Him. Now listen, listen to the last words of, of the Bible that we have. Revelation chapter 22 verse 18. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. God takes his word seriously. And if this is how serious God takes his word, then church, you can trust that the same God that spoke the universe into existence is the same God who keeps his word in, in contact. He keeps it pure. And he's passed it down from generation to generation so that you and I would have it today. This book focuses on salvation and eternity through Jesus Christ. And let's look back at 2 Timothy in our original text, chapter 3. Verse 1, it starts, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Then in verse 13, But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving Church, I don't want to be deceived. How about you? Our, our nation and our world is being deceived because they don't know the Word of God. Why is, are we having all of these crazy issues, bizarre things taking place? It's because they don't know the Word of God and they're being deceived. Amen? Look at verse 16. We're still in 2 Timothy chapter 3. All Scripture. Everybody say all Scripture. Look at verse 15. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. Verse 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned. So we teach our children Scripture. At a young age we encourage them to begin to memorize Scripture. And then when they're old, they're going to have that to rely on no matter what they face. It, there's a word in the Greek in verse 16. It says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Everybody say inspiration. inspiration. It's the Greek word theopneustos. And, and what it means is God breathed. All Scripture comes as a direct result of God's breathing upon human vessels. That's why it's all one story. That's why it's all about Jesus. Even though they were varied in history in different times, even though they had different, uh, different aspects of, of work and what they were involved in, different type lives, it was the same Holy Spirit that breathed on them. Now look at, at second, uh, second Peter chapter 1, verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. 
which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Greek word there is fermone. And it means to be born away or actuated by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved them. Now Jesus, he didn't tell them. Now I want you, I want to, let's look at something else right quick. I want you to think about this. This unique partnership between holy men and the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 13. These things... We also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And that's difficult in the Greek, but the idea is there is that the Holy Spirit is putting spiritual ideas into spiritual words. And God's using these men. And another thing that's interesting is you know, they don't use the exact same words. Why? Because I guarantee you a fisherman's going to have a little different language than a physician. But all of it still points to Jesus. All of it flows together. And some people, have you ever heard anybody say, well, there's, it, the Bible isn't really consistent. It, it, uh, says one thing here and it contradicts itself. Anybody ever heard that? They're not studying the Scripture. Because if you study it, even if you're not saved with an open mind, you will see that this book does not contradict itself. It doesn't. In Luke chapter 4, oh, no, let's go back. John chapter 14, verse 26. The New Testament was, wasn't written yet. When Jesus is talking about the Scriptures, He's talking about the Old Testament because the New Testament hadn't been written. But Jesus does say something about the New Testament Scriptures. Think, listen to this. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name... He will teach you all things, and listen to this, and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So Jesus is clearly preparing them. Now Jesus isn't saying, yeah, there's going to be four Gospels. It's going to be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then this, this guy named Saul is going to become Paul, and I'm going to have an encounter with him, and he's going to write a bunch of epistles. Jesus didn't line it out. He didn't tell them all that, but he did tell them the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that moved in the hearts of men in the past is going to move in your life and the Holy Spirit's going to give you what to say and you are going to recall because the Holy Spirit is going to be partnering with you. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16 Jesus, well, in Luke chapter 4, 
Jesus was tempted. We all know this story. How does Jesus face temptation? Everybody say it. It is written. It is written. It is written. Amen. How do we face temptation? It is written. It is written. Amen. Earlier we, we had Mary. The Lord lay that, that, that message for us on her heart about we're thinking about and taking on names from the world. I don't want, so when the devil does that and he comes, oh, you're a thief or you failed, you're an adulterer, you did, you're a drunkard, you're an alcoholic, you, 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 you're a drug addict, you did all these things. How do you respond to that? It is written. It is written. It is written. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's written. It's powerful, church. In that same chapter, Luke chapter 4, verse 16, says, So he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, listen to this, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. His custom was to go to church every week. I'm going to just leave that there. And he stood up to read. Now there's two things. Yes, it was Jesus' custom to be in church every week. But notice something else in this passage. He stood up to read. He took the scroll, the scroll God's Word, the Old Testament, the scroll of Isaiah, and he begins to open it up. And remember, they didn't have chapters and verses. And he immediately just opens it up, turns to the right exact place in the scroll, and begins to teach. What does that tell us? It tells us that from a young age, he was in the Word, he knew the Word, and not only for his personal life, but now in his public ministry, he knew the Word of God. And if Jesus knew the Word like that, you and I need to memorize it. We need to learn it. We need to know because of the days we're living in. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, do you not think that I came do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets? I did not come to destroy but fulfill. For assuredly I say to you till heaven and earth pass away not one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. What's a what's a jot and what's a tittle? Well a jot is the smallest of Hebrew letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And a tittle is a, a, a mark, just a, a mark of the smallest in, in the Hebrew alphabet. It would be like, to put it in English, to bring it up into to our time today, it's like saying not one of the letters I in God's Word is going to be removed. That would be the jot. The tittle would be the dotting of the I. Church, you can trust the Word of God. Amen? I love that. 
I remember when I was still a teenager, my grandfather was in his late 80s. He had been retired for many years, but he had a study that they had made in the, in the garage. Took part of the garage and built him a study. And every morning he would get up and he would take his Bible and he would go in and he would, he would spend time with the Lord, spend time in the Word. And many times he would, he would come out and he would say, God showed me something fresh, some new revelation that I had never seen before. And I, I began to cultivate a, a love for God's Word. I can't tell you the number of Bibles that I own personally. You can, you can walk into my study here at the church and I have a section just of Bibles that's probably this wide. Just all different, different versions of the Bible, different um, study Bibles with different commentary. But I love the Word of God. And people ask me, what's your, what's your favorite Bible? And I, I love, I've got several different Bibles that I love. I love the Fire Bible. It's got great commentary. I love the, the Spirit-Filled Life Bible that Jack Hayford was the editor. I've had several of those. But the one I always preach out of is my old Thompson chain. And part of it's tradition because my grandfathers used Thompson chain. And my dad used Thompson chain. But the thing, the, re, the main reason why that, that I continue to, to use the, the Thompson chain is because, it, because of the wide margins and I can take notes. And currently I have two Bibles. I've had several others that I've gone through that just fell apart and were destroyed. But currently, I have two Bibles that, that are real similar, Thompson Chain, that both of them are filled with notes. And my goal is that before I die, that all three of my children will have one of these Bibles. They'll know that their dad believed this was the Word of God. They'll know that their dad lived according to this book. And that I stored up mercy because I live. That's a whole other message. I'm not going to go there. But when you live according to the Word of God, it says that you store up mercy for your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. And on to the thousandth generation. So church, I know I've been kind of academic today. But I believe as we begin this new year, we've got to be grounded in the Word like never before. That we've got to claim the promises of God, know the promises of God for each one of us. That when we face sickness, we know what the promises are. When we face marital trouble, we know what the promises are. When we, when we face times where we just need a miracle, we know that God's still a miracle worker. Amen. So I want you to stand with me. I'm going to invite the worship team to come.
thank you for joining us today. We look forward to connecting with you next time. And don't forget, you can support us by giving through the Church Center app or by going online at summitwc.com give.